the funny thing is, I think a lot of people are going to see this headline and not really know what it means and why they should care. And I worry that they're going to skip right past it. Don't do that. It's important. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Nadex, the binary options exchange. Binary options let you limit your risk and trade stock indices, commodities, forex, and more from a single account. Nadex is a CFTC-regulated exchange with transparency, free market data, and fairness guaranteed. The future of trading is here now at nadex.com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. Hi, and welcome back to Bloomberg Benchmark, a podcast about the global economy. You are listening to this on Thursday, December 17th, but we are recording this on Wednesday, the 16th, just hours after the Fed's policy meeting. I'm Tori Stowell, an economics reporter with Bloomberg News in D.C., and I'm joined by Aki Ito, who's in San Francisco, and Dan Moss, who was able to join us by surprise from New York. Hi. Hey, guys. Hey, Dan. Where's your baby? Yeah, where's your baby? (laughs) Our daughter is uh, still inside her mother. She's having a lie-in. You know, Joanna and I thought that our daughter would be a fed baby, but we're both kind of relieved. (laughs) Joanna works at Bloomberg as well, so it's a good thing that Bub saw us through the day. Well, it has been an exciting day, so I'm kind of surprised she didn't come today. (laughs) We've had lots of other stuff going on. Still six hours left. (laughs) Basically, the thing that we have all been waiting for forever to happen has finally happened. Yeah, let's take a listen to this clip of Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen just a few hours ago. Earlier today, the Federal Open Market Committee decided to raise the target range for the federal funds rate by one quarter percentage point, bringing it to one quarter to one half percent. This action marks the end of an extraordinary seven-year period during which the federal funds rate was held near zero to support the recovery of the economy from the worst financial crisis and recession since the Great Depression. It also recognizes the considerable progress that has been made toward restoring jobs, raising incomes, and easing the economic hardship of millions of Americans. So it finally happened. The Federal Reserve raised its benchmark interest rate. It had been near zero for seven years, and it had been a decade since the last increase. Officials took a small step. They increased their target rate by just a quarter of a point. But what a quarter of a point history made. (laughs) And by the time our listeners hear this episode, this news is going to be on the front page of many, many newspapers around the country and uh, even around the world. It's maybe even the biggest story in global finance this year. But uh, the funny thing is, I think a lot of people are going to see this headline and not really know what it means and why they should care. And I worry that they're going to skip right past it. Don't do that. It's important. (laughs) So our mission this week is to tell you what this news means and why you should care, even if you're not a trader on Wall Street. We're going to walk you through the Fed's decision with a little bit of background and then talk to you about what it means for three different players in the U.S. economy, the consumer, businesses, and the government. 
where the Fed's easy money policies have led to more than a little consternation on both sides of the aisle. And since we're a podcast about the global economy, we'll finish by talking about how this will affect other nations, as well as how they may in turn affect the Fed. That's a big mission for 20 minutes, which is less than half the time Chair Yellen spent addressing the press this afternoon. So we're bringing in reinforcements. Michelle Meyer, Deputy Head of US Economics at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch in New York, is joining us. Michelle, thank you. What a day you must have had. It was quite the day, but it was a fun day. We finally got to see a a rate hike and a little action in terms of uh, policy. Yeah, on a scale of 1 to 10, how relieved are you that this first hike is finally behind us and we can all stop hyperventilating about it? I would say that's a 10 for today, (laughs) but next week I might have a different answer if we start to see some nerves and uncertainty and confusion around what the path of of the hiking cycle might look like and when the second hike might be. All right. Well, before we get too far in, let's start with the very basics here. So the Fed raised its benchmark interest rate, the federal funds rate, and it's the interest rate that banks charge each other when they borrow from each other overnight. Uh, Every single day to stay compliant with federal regulations, every bank needs a certain amount of cash on hand. And let's say I'm a bank and Tori, you're a bank. And let's say on this particular day, my bank needs a million dollars more. So I'll go to you and ask if I could borrow from you just overnight. It's a super, super short-term loan. And we'll agree on an interest rate together. And uh, I'll pay you back that $1 million plus that interest that we agreed on uh, the following day. So uh, the Fed doesn't directly control this interest rate, but instead it sets a goal. And then it kind of um, pokes and prods the markets until they get the actual federal funds rate to the level that they want it to be. So until today, as of Wednesday, uh, it was between 0 and 0.25%. Starting tomorrow, Thursday, it's going to be a range between 0.25 and 0.5%. Now, on the face of it, it doesn't sound like very much, but we're talking about the end of an era here. Just those 25 basis points is something for the history books, Michelle, right? It is, because we're coming off of the zero bound, and we're coming off of a period of unprecedented easy policy. So 25 basis points is still historically a very low interest rate. It's still an accommodative stance of monetary policy, but it is relative to uh, the past few years where we were at the zero bound. Why did the Fed decide that now was the right time for a hike? You know, it has taken such a long time. We've been near zero since 2008. Why now? Well, you have to consider that the Fed has what's called a dual mandate. They want to achieve full employment, which is measured by the unemployment rate coming in around 5% or so. And they also need to achieve price stability, which means reaching their target of 2%. So they're very close on the first part of their mandate in uh, generating stronger job growth and bringing the unemployment rate lower. But they're not quite yet at the inflation target of 2% with core PCE inflation currently running at about 1.3%. However, Fed is supposed to be forward-looking. Monetary policy works with long lags. And on a forward-looking basis, if the economy is continuing to grow in an environment where we're close to full employment, we should be seeing price pressures build in the medium term, which would justify uh, higher interest rates. 
So our Washington newsroom is quite the creative group of people, and our editor Katarina baked these um, cupcakes from scratch and arranged them in the shape of a space shuttle taking off uh, to signify liftoff. <laughs> and, they were pretty great. <laughs> um, and you know, Michelle, I'm wondering, is it right to think of this as a celebratory occasion that the Fed has so much confidence in the economic recovery that it can now finally do this thing it couldn't do for years? That is quite a creative thing to do. We, unfortunately, we didn't have those cupcakes on the trading floor. Um, <laughs> How long would they have lasted? <laughs> That's a good point. Um, so I think liftoff is probably an, an extreme terminology because the Fed is going very, very slow. Um, liftoff would imply that it's a dramatic adjustment in, in policy, and, and I think the Fed worked very hard to suggest otherwise. Yeah, a little detail on those cupcakes. They actually featured, like, turtles on the cupcakes. Brilliant. Turtles with, like, jetpacks because it was, like, a gradual <laughs> liftoff. Brilliant. That completely changed it, in my opinion. <laughs> that was... The right assessment, which is we are lifting off the zero bound, but we're going very, very slowly. Um, to your point about what is a signal regarding the economy, I, I think it is true that it signals that the Fed has become more convinced about the sustainability of the recovery. They believe that the economy has made significant improvement and should be on a further upward trend. And as a result, interest rates no longer need to be at this emergency policy level. When the era of modern central banking began, and if you want to take as a reference point, we could say the 93-94 period when the Fed began announcing its changes and putting out written texts to accompany it, the early 90s saw a series of aggressive interest rate moves. And then at the start of uh, the 2000s, there were moves that were less aggressive, but compared with what people anticipate now, they were pretty aggressive. So... Why the go slow now if they're so confident? You're right, and that's an extremely important point, which is that not only is this cycle different because we're at the zero bound and we haven't been in the past, it's different because the Fed is saying they are going extremely slow relative to prior cycles. So what's the concern? I think one of the concerns is that um, there's not symmetric risks around policy. And what I mean by that is, if the Fed is wrong and the economy ends up slowing, there's not that much room to cut from here. Yeah, what can they actually do if that happens? I mean, you have two options. Uh, one is to further expand the, the balance sheet, engage in more quantitative easing, buying treasuries, buying mortgage-backed securities. The other option, as other central banks have done, is to bring interest rates negative, um, which they seem very hesitant to do. So, so neither of those options are, are desirable, clearly, and, and, and the Fed is very hopeful that they won't have to consider that at any time in the future. So if you have asymmetric risks and you're much more worried about being wrong and having gone too fast and being wrong by having gone too slow, you're going to err on the side of, of being cautious. Well, this is all awesome background to be armed with as we enter the second half of our show, which is breaking down how all this jargon, a lot of it jargon that we just talked about matters for different players in the U.S. economy. So making this a little more bite-sized, we're going to say all this after a word from our sponsor. What do traders want? To limit risk, access every opportunity, and trade on a level playing field. Nadex Binary Options lets you set your maximum profit and loss before the trade, so your risk is always limited. 
Find opportunities in multiple markets, stock indices, commodities, forex, even economic numbers, and Bitcoin, all from one account and platform. Nadex is a CSTC-regulated exchange with transparency, free market data, and fairness guaranteed. Innovations the financial industry needs, and Nadex already has. That's why we think binary options are the future of trading. And it's here now at nadex.com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. So let's turn to how this is going to impact the various players in our economy, starting with the consumer, which, after all, accounts for about 70% of gross domestic product. Michelle, that's still your estimate? That's right. Consumer spending is is about 70% of, of GDP. It's a pretty, when you're looking at the shares of uh, the economy, it's a pretty slow-moving adjustment. Okay, so we're really into the guts of it then. How does targeting this one fairly obscure rate that banks use to lend to each other overnight affect what I and our listeners do day to day? It's an important question. It doesn't directly influence borrowing costs, or not immediately, I should say. Um, It only influences uh, a consumer or household borrowing costs if the short-term rate that the Fed is increasing actually translates to higher rates across the curve and influences these longer-term rates that consumers are going to be much more sensitive to. And what we saw today after the Fed hiked is what's called flattening out of the curve, where you did see some pickup in short-term interest rates, but the long end didn't really move very much. Um, and that's a risk going forward is that even as the Fed hikes, they don't really do, do very much in terms of, of adjusting um, borrowing costs for, for the average consumer. Um, does this mean that Tory and Tuck when they want to buy their first home and settle down, automatically now have to pay 50 basis points more? It doesn't. Good news, Tori, you can. (laughs) (laughs) um, No, it doesn't necessarily mean that. You know, you do want to assume that in an environment where the Fed is hiking interest rates, there is a risk that your borrowing costs will head higher in the medium term because the Fed is tightening policy, but it's not necessarily a one-for-one, one or, 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 and the timing is not necessarily clear either. Um, so I think, you know, our view from, from, our, from our strategists on interest rates, um, we expect only a 30 basis point increase in 10-year Treasury rates over the course of next year, and that's a pretty good proxy for what you might see for mortgage rates as well. So you're saying mortgage rates aren't going to go up that much because I know over at the National Association of Realtors, uh, the chief economist over there sees the the 30-year mortgage rate going up to like four and a half, I think, by the end of next year. Uncertainty, and, and, and obviously, it's possible that the long end of the curve ends up moving, ending more, especially if we have inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, our view is that it's going to be a slow cycle, and it's going to be a slow adjustment in in, in long long dated treasuries, which means um, we'll see something similar in mortgage rates. But you bring up a really good point, which is that there are a certain number of consumer products that are tied to LIBOR or short term rates. Uh, one of which is for mortgages, if you have an adjustable rate mortgage. LIBOR will be heading higher, and that can influence how your mortgage rate resets. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, certain corporate loans are going to be much more short-term, um, and that, that, could be, uh, that could be heading higher. 
Right. You know, Michelle, I used to be a Federal Reserve reporter um, until about a year ago. And my job was to travel to all these different parts of the country and cover these speeches that Federal Reserve officials gave. And after basically every single speech, at least one person would raise their hand and be like, you know, I'm, I'm a senior citizen, I'm, or, you know, my mother's a senior citizen or something, and uh, you having zero interest rates is really messing with my retirement. So uh, is life going to get better for them? Presumably it will, depending on how they're invested. <laughs> um, so there's a few thoughts around that. One is the signaling that goes along with uh, a hiking cycle. The Fed is hiking in an environment where the economy is improving, which means that for overall, for, for all types of, of, of investors or players in the economy, their financial situation should be improving if they have exposure to uh, financial ethics and, 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 and income creation. Um, the second factor is if you're a more risk-averse investor and you're sitting in cash or in short-term savings accounts, mm-hmm. um, your interest rate will be modestly higher. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people do have a greater diversification. They're going to have exposure to what's happening in equities or, or, or credit markets, and, and they're, uh, it's not entirely clear what happens when the Fed starts hiking interest rates. I see. Well, let's turn to, uh, let's turn to businesses now. Um, we, we already touched on them briefly when we were talking about these corporate loans, but interest rates matter for them because they borrow money to buy capital, things like equipment, heavy machinery, all that kind of stuff that help them make the goods and services that they do. But if the interest rate that they have to pay goes up by even a little bit, will will that kind of derail corporate investment? It's been picking up lately, but I think the theme throughout the recovery is that it hasn't been quite what people would like to see. CapEx has been, I would agree, overall disappointing um, given how cheap borrowing costs have been and and, um, and and presumably opportunities for expansion in a number of industries. And now that borrowing costs are heading higher, I think there is a, a, a key question or concern as to how that will influence um, future investment in, 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 in companies and, and businesses. Um, but I'm not sure how interest rate sensitive it is. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, with interest rates being as low as it was for most of this recovery, you didn't see this big you know, pickup in, 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 in borrowing and, in, and investments. And if you look at large companies, their balance sheet is, is actually pretty cash-heavy. So presumably they still have plenty of capacity to invest if they see economic conditions that warrant that. Right. Great. And let's turn to the third stakeholder, the government. Um, so in a previous episode, we talked about the very, now very big debt burden that the U.S. government shoulders. Um, and we talked about how it was fine for now because interest rates were so low. But do you think this is going to become a more worrying thing as interest rates start to go up? I think it really depends on how quickly interest rates rise. Remember that the Fed is saying it's going to be slow. It's a more shallow cycle. We don't bring interest rates as high as we had in prior cycles. Um, so relative to history, borrowing costs should still be pretty cheap for, for, for the government. Mm-hmm. We've, we've also had a little bit of political back and forth about this. You know, some people saying that interest rates have been too long, too low for too long, excuse me, and the Fed is kind of playing with fire here. And then also those that say that by hiking, the Fed, you know, is hurting working class Americans. Um, Is this move going to, is this Fed move going to influence that debate at all, going to turn it up a little bit? It might. I mean, I really think that it depends on how the Fed communicates when the next move is and what the path is. Right now, they're something extremely cautious. 
um, noting that they want to keep support for the economy. Um, they're not looking to cool an overheated economy or fight inflation. Um, so, you know, 25 basis points by itself really shouldn't change the equation very much for most people in the economy. I think the question is, how quickly will the Fed actually engineer a hiking cycle? And my expectation is that they're going to be very cautious and, and, and very careful in how they do that. We're going to wrap up here in a second, and Michelle will let you go. Um, but let's zoom out here for a little bit. Our financial markets around the world are, in this modern age, so interconnected, but not every central bank is raising interest rates right now. You know, you have the European Central Bank just lowering its deposit rate to minus 0.3%. There's renewed pressure on the Bank of Japan to expand its own bond purchasing program. Um, So the Fed is going one way, and you have a very big chunk of the rest of the world running a different direction. You certainly do, um, which I think creates a bit more discomfort with what the Fed is trying to engineer, because if the Fed is hiking while other central banks and our major trading partners are easing, it means that you're going to have a further appreciation in the U.S. dollar. Um, And that's another form of tightening in terms of financial conditions. So it does mean that the Fed's policy, even though they're saying it's very slow, it's gradual, it's a careful policy, there are these other consequences that come from uh, a faster appreciation of the dollar. Um, and, And I think the Fed has to account for that. Right. So there's really a lot in stake here. Yeah, it's crazy that an institution holds this much power over basically the fate of the world. And you could probably make the argument that the Fed has more control over the economy than the president or Congress. And, you know, it's just a it's just people sitting in a room every six weeks (laughs) making this very human decision about interest rates. So it's uh, it's great to have that perspective. Yeah, I'm glad it's not us making this decision. Sometimes it's good um... to have Congress not involved, right? (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) Well, Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really great having you on. It is my pleasure. Have a a great evening. Go and spend some of those debased dollars. Well, thanks again for listening to Bloomberg Benchmark. We'll be back next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal as well as Bloomberg.com, iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, Google Play. And while you're there, please take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And let us know what you thought of the show. You can talk to us and follow us on Twitter at, at AkiEdo7, at Tori Stilwell, and at Daniel Moss TC. Do I need to come up with a new Twitter handle? Probably. (laughs) See you guys next week. We're proud of our new and growing suite of original podcasts, all designed to help you navigate the complexities of business, financial markets, and the global economy. In addition to Bloomberg Benchmark, which you're listening to now, don't miss Odd Lots, a deep dive into the intersection of markets, economics, and finance with Joe Weisenthal and Tracy Alloway. There's also Deal of the Week with our mergers and acquisitions reporter Alex Sherman, looking at a breakdown of the biggest deals and giving you an inside peek into corporate boardrooms. All three shows are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Pocket Cast for Android, Bloomberg.com, and of course, the Bloomberg Terminal. Check them out and subscribe today. This episode was brought to you by Nadex. You know, any long-term investment is going to go through short-term dips and price fluctuations. Nadex binary options let you turn those short-term movements into trading opportunities. You decide your maximum profit and loss before each trade, so your risk is always limited. Trade stock indices, commodities, forex, even Bitcoin in economic numbers, all from one account 
on a CFTC-regulated U.S. exchange. Instead of just watching the market's ups and downs, turn them into trading opportunities at nadex.com. It's the future of trading, N-A-D-E-X dot com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors.